Hi, and welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Anna, and I co-host this podcast with my mom, Dr. Tara Egan. This is just a quick announcement to let you know that today's episode is an encore episode, which means that we will be replaying an episode from a prior season. We occasionally take a week or two off from podcasting, but we have over a hundred fantastic episodes recorded, so stay tuned to listen to this favorite. Welcome to Season 5 of One Day You'll Thank Me, a podcast for smart parents. I'm Dr. Tara Egan. And I'm Anna. I'm a mom, a therapist, a parent coach, and an author. And I'm a daughter and a kick-ass high school student. Each week, we'll discuss a different parenting topic. And we'll interview some amazing guest experts. Our goal is to provide an interesting informational resource for busy parents. While also offering the perspective of a teen. Stay tuned, everyone. Crushed it. Hello, welcome back to One Day You'll Thank Me. My name is Dr. Tara Egan. Anna's not with us today, and it kind of bums me out because this is a conversation she would probably be able to add a lot to. However, I am a kind of protective to, with her when it comes to conversations about divorce and separation. So I sort of made the call to not really invite her. So she'll probably listen to this episode later and be like, I could have had something to say. And <laughs> I will acknowledge that, but... I just feel like we're going to be able to have a more sort of honest and open conversation about this topic, which is we're going to be talking about step parenting and adjusting to having a blended family. And I think that, I don't know, I don't want to have to choose my words carefully because I'm watching her face react to my perspective. So to all of you out there, we'll say hi to Anna another time. But today I'd like to introduce Lori and David Sims, and they are our guest experts today. And they're a blended family coaching team, and they're creators of the Nacho Kids Method and Nacho Kids Academy. So they're a husband and wife duo. They're dedicated to helping blended families save their sanity and relationships. Big fan of that. While there's tons of great blended family websites and books, few address what to do when traditional or societally defined step parenting does not work. So as probably most of you know, a one-size-fit-all approach doesn't necessarily apply to blended families. So Lori and David saw the need for something different, something non-judgmental, and to really create a community of step-parents who aren't fitting into that traditional step-parenting role. And their goal is to help them avoid becoming another statistic because second marriages or third marriages, you know, being part of a blended family is a risk factor for divorce. So they're here to talk with us today. Thank you so much, David and Lori, for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I came across your Nacho Kids Parenting, I believe, Facebook page. I honestly don't know because I've known about you guys for years. You just didn't know about me. That's right. <laughs> and the crazy thing to our audience is as we were chatting before I hit record on this interview, we realized we live in the same county in South Carolina. Like we are <laughs> almost neighbors. Like what are we maybe 30 minutes apart, 40 yeah. minutes mm-hmm. tops? Yes. So I did not know that. So it's just such a coincidence that we're both like in the same community and we were kind of like, hmm, do our kids know each other? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but I'm definitely going to ask. Yes, I'm going to ask too. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll have to hear from you because I don't know anything about your family makeup, like how many kids are in your family or any of that. And I don't know to what degree you share that detail, but in the family that I'm part of, I have two biological children and four stepchildren, but my stepchildren, three of the four are adults. Mm-hmm. So, and then the youngest of my stepchildren is still in high school. Okay. Yeah. So ours is kind of, ours is similar. We're, um, all four of my kids are adults. I have three that are triplets. And then uh, the older one is only a year and a half older than triplets. All boys. Yeah, all boys. And three uh, went into the military. Uh, one just got out of his four-year tour. Uh, the other two are still in. And one lives in the mountains of North Carolina. And then Lori's son is still at home. And he's going to be a senior in high school this year. Okay. The Woodbridge. Five boys between us. Okay. All boys. I was going to ask that. And then what branch of the military are your sons in? Uh, The Air Force. Okay. So my stepson, who is also an adult now, was in the Marines. Okay. So that was very, very, for me as a stepmom, it was a very stressful time when he went to boot camp. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I had a really hard time with that. And thinking, worrying about him, like being like cold or hot or hungry or wet or hurt. Yeah. I found that to be really stressful. And you don't, I don't want to say you don't get the credit, but like, nobody's going to go to the stepmom and be like, oh, you're worried sick, aren't you? Because like, I'm not the bio parent. And even I, and even I felt like I didn't have a right to be like open or verbalize the concern I have. I mean, I obviously don't want any kid suffering, Like any kid thinking about being them being cold or hungry or yelled at makes me uncomfortable. But to be the stepmom of one was harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, I agree. Especially with me nachoing. It's I didn't feel right for me to say that I miss them, but I do. I love them and I cared about them. And not hearing from them for what, six weeks, I think we couldn't talk to them, Mm -hmm. drove me crazy. And I'm thinking the same thing. Are they eating right? Are they doing okay emotionally? Now, I'll have to be honest about somebody yelling at them. Oh, you're okay with that? Because I'm thinking, you know, if I could have yelled at those kids more, I could have toughened them up for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I told them sense. I was just trying to prepare them. <laughs> <laughs> All that work you did. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Now they always like, you know what? Boot camp's nothing compared to living with a stepmom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's hysterical. Well, let's talk a little bit. Let's let's orient our audience on what nacho parenting is. So start wherever you want as far as explaining this concept. Well, I think we have to start with our story in the beginning. We have been married. 13 years this year and year two, which seems to be the terrible twos for blended families, things went to crap. There's no better way to put it. And we were on the verge of divorce. I was sleeping in a different room. Honestly, if I wouldn't have sold my house when we got married, I would have left. There's no doubt. But the thought of me having to uproot my son again and us move and try to find somewhere to live. That just wasn't appealing, of course. And I did love David, even though we didn't like each other very much at the time. And David even mentioned at one point about us living separately and then trying to restart, kind of reboot. Let's try this a different way. But I knew if I moved out, I wasn't coming back. I wasn't going to uproot my son and all that stuff and then try to make it work. 
I would be done. So we ended up going to a counselor that we had actually met with prior to getting married because we did our research. We read books. We met with counselors. We met with preachers, anybody we could get information from. And we knew this was not going to be easy. But we didn't have a clue how hard it was going to be. So I called this counselor one day and I was like, Mr. Butler, he's like, oh, I've been waiting for you to call. I was like, dude, things are bad. Like we're about to split up. So we went in to talk to him and he kept telling me, Lori, they're not your kids. Thankfully, he knew how hard headed I was because I joked that he told me 826 times, but he almost did. I would say, but, I, you know, it hurt my feelings when he said it at first, because I'm like, I care about them. I want what's best for them. He's like, but they're not your kids. I said, but I want them to have good hygiene, but they're not your kids. I want them to be outstanding young men. They're not your kids. I'm telling you, that's all he said to me. So when we left, we were in the parking lot and I told David, I said, all he said to me were, they are not your kids. And we laughed. And that was the first time we had laughed in months. I would say almost a year, honestly. Mm -hmm. And it hit me. I was creating my own misery. They were not my kids. And it's not that David didn't care about their hygiene or their grades or anything like that. But I was pushing myself into that motherly role and they didn't need a mom. They had a mom. They had a dad. And if David didn't care if they brushed their teeth at night, who was I to force them to do so? And they were okay with David saying, you need to brush your teeth. But with me, they're thinking, who are you? You just come in and start telling us all this stuff. And we've got a bedtime all of a sudden. And we've got this and this. And we've got to do our homework and chores. And we hate you. And so from that point on, I started disengaging, stepping back. And I stepped back to the point where even when the kids came back from their moms, I didn't say hey to them. And I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, my gosh, you're the adult. Don't be childish. But the reason I didn't say hey to them is because if they came in and I said something to them and they didn't acknowledge me, it made me furious. So by me not saying anything, it didn't give them the opportunity to make me mad. Because that was a trigger for me. So I avoided that trigger by not instigating the conversation. And then I started slowly backing up from other things and not in a rude way or a neglectful way. If they said, can I go to Mama's? Because Mama lives a couple of houses down. I would say, you need to ask your dad. If they said, what's for supper? I'd say, you need to ask your dad. If they asked for a cup and I was standing there, of course, I gave them a cup. If they asked anything like, what are we doing next week? It was go ask your dad. I never ignored them. There's a difference in stepping back from conversations with your stepkids or engaging in conversations with them versus ignoring them. And I think that's where a lot of people confuse nacho parenting and think that it's a horrible thing. You're not ignoring them. You're just not engaging in any negative activity or interaction. Okay. So is there an opportunity to be positive? Oh, yes. Give a compliment or... There's always that opportunity, but to be honest with you, we were all in such a bad place. It took a year for me to start reengaging with them. And I remember one time Mr. Butler said, you need to say five positives to one negative. I couldn't think of one positive. Amongst four kids, I could not think of one positive. That's how hurt I was. And that's how our relationship was just so bad. And once I started reengaging, of course, during that one year, there's a lot of self-development. 
It's understanding it's not about you. It wasn't about me as a person. It was what I represented. And it's not where you do a lot of self-reflection and you realize that the kids are struggling too. And you change your perspective on things. I changed my outlook on things completely. And it helped me so much, not just in the blend, but in life in general. But you, of course, if you like their shirt, you say, hey, I like your shirt. If they don't respond to you and it makes you mad, then next time don't say it. If they say thanks and that's it, then that's okay. They responded. Mm -hmm. Don't set yourself up for these expectations that they're going to say, oh, thank you, stepmama, for recognizing my shirt that I got. You know, don't go all out doing crazy stuff like that. But there's always the chance to say positive things to them, even if it's, hey, I'm glad you're here. I missed you. And again, if they don't respond and it hurts your feelings, then you have to identify that as one of your triggers. And then you have to deal with it. Yeah. And during that time she was stepping back, it was really it was really on me to create those positive interactions. And so I would look for things that we could do. For example, I would go to the store and I would purchase them all like a candy bar. And I would come back home and I would give the candy bars to Lori and I'd say, call the kids in here and tell them you got them a candy bar. And I'd say, no, I'm not lying. I didn't get them these candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She pushed back and I'm like, just tell them you got them a candy bar. And so she would do that. And Or if they came to me and was like, hey, dad, we're out of my favorite cereal. I'd say, well, Lori does the grocery shopping. So you're going to have to ask her to get you your favorite cereal. And what that did is it started to to give them the perspective of, wait a minute, if I want certain things, then I've got to interact with Lori in a positive way to get them. And it also gave her an opportunity to come back and say, here's the cereal that you asked for, and here it is. And they would say, thank you. And so you started creating these ways for there to be positive interaction so that it wasn't always negative. And they didn't look at her as somebody who was creating rules or enforcing rules. It was somebody who was there to help their dad and to provide for them in certain ways, but not always and not in a motherly way. I do say a lot to clients and is like your stepchild like has two parents. I mean, obviously not every stepchild does, but in most of these cases where there's conflict, it's like your, your, that child has two parents, like that role is filled. Right. And the role that you have with that child is going to be different because those roles are filled. Now, if you're a step parent and you became part of a family, for example, a stepmother, and you became part of a family and the child was two and they've never known any other person as mother, like you, you are serving that role. There isn't another person in that role that you are attempting or in danger of or per- being perceived as usurping. And so we talk a lot about like and how you're co-parent, like if your partner does not fuss at the kids for brushing their teeth or, you know, then like you can't care more about your stepchildren's teeth than the biological parents. Like you just yes. can't. You can't care about anything more with the mm-hmm. stepkids and the bio parent. And I know people say, but you can, you can, but you it's can useless. <laughs> yeah. It's going to drive you crazy. Yeah. Right. Your your ability to change the situation or or even influence it is is either limited or non-existent. So you can mm-hmm. spend a lot of energy getting caught up in, but what if I, if only I said this, shouldn't they be? Mm-hmm. And it causes so much stress. And then you look around to your to your partner or even to the kids 
with such resentment because so much of your energy is going towards changing something that you don't actually have control over. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's one of the big things is letting go of control of things you don't have control of in the first place and instead learning to control how you let those things affect you. One of the first blogs that I wrote was about an empty cereal box. I remember coming home from the grocery store. I had a great day at work. Everything was good. And I go to put stuff in the pantry and there's an empty cereal box. Uh, My head spun around like the exorcist. It drove me crazy. And I had to realize it wasn't the empty cereal box. It was what it represented to me. What it represented to me was unappreciative kids, kids that were going to live with me when they were 40 because they couldn't even throw away an empty cereal box. And I would just spiral. And it was just, it was out of control. And I had to see it for what it was. It was an empty cereal box. That's it. It wasn't personal. Right. And one of the things that during my time of disengaging, which there are still things that I don't get involved in. Mm -hmm. But during that time, they realized that they needed to appreciate the things I did for them, that not being their parent also made me not required to do anything for them. And they had no qualms saying, you're not my mother. And my response is, you're right. So that means I don't have to buy you anything. Or you're right. I don't, that means I don't have to fix you supper. Now, granted, they were older and they could fix something to eat and they were always fed by mama or David. Yeah. You weren't leaving a two-year-old without dinner. Right. I I refused to cook. Once they complained about my cooking enough, I hated cooking in the first place. They complained about it. I'm like, I'm done. And I told David, I said, you're responsible for feeding everybody when the kids are here. And so he started cooking. And it's funny because if I cooked something and they thought he did, oh, daddy, this is the best. I couldn't, if they knew I made it, I'm not eating that. It was like dog food. Mm. I'm not kidding. The same meal. Yeah. You know, people often ask me, you know, how did you feel with, you know, her putting this back on you to have to cook and do this and do that? And the interesting part is, is it took so much stress off of the, the family and her and me both that it was a welcome change. It wasn't that I looked at this going, oh, my gosh, what use are you? Why did I marry you? You're not doing anything. It wasn't that at all. It was, it, you know, we were in a in a place where if we could take any of the stress off of anybody and, and me not feel like I'm in the middle, squeezed between the kids, my kids and, and Lori, you know, no matter which way I went, somebody's going to be mad at me. You know, just removing that, I was more than happy to, to do the cooking or the cleaning or the whatever else I had to do. And also understand that whatever point we were at then, it's not a place we stayed. You know, we progressed as a family and things got better. And so one thing people get hung up on is, oh, you're telling me I've got to do this thing called nachoing. And and now I'm going to be stuck in this perpetual loop of not being involved with my stepkids or not being involved with my significant other when the stepkids are around or all these things. And they're like, no, we're, we're saying right now, these are the steps you have to take. But you will get to a point where you can do those things and you can sit down to dinner together and stuff like that. But however that relationship between you and the stepkids looks, first of all, is going to be in the future. And second of all, is going to be highly dependent on what they want that to look like, not you. That's the thing is sometimes people forget to factor in what the children have the ability and kind of right to determine. Like, you know, I mean, you get 
if you have a, a stepchild and they're 15, 17, even eight or nine, like there's an element of choice of how, who and how they, they interact with people. And we can get really caught up in like, they can't talk to me like that. Well, first of all, they can, because you're not putting duct tape over their mouth. <laughs> and, you know, and then second of all, it's like, okay, well, part of the dynamic is how you're responding or how you're engaging in the initial, like you said, the the initial like compliment you give or, or greeting you give or expectation you lay out. And so sometimes that can set the stage for, you know, disrespect or like there'll be step parents who kind of go in already with their boxing gloves on and they anticipate this is going to go poorly and everybody's already heated and like literally no one's walked in the door yet. Mm-hmm. Right. They're mad two days before the stepkids come. Mm-hmm. And they're mad at their spouse because. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies that happen in step families. Yes. <laughs> and I do want to say that one of the things is when I came into this role, we thought that's what I should do. Replace the motherly stuff. You know, the mm-hmm. cooking, the cleaning, the all that crap that comes with being a female. But David also expected me to do that role. Not that he ever told me that, but it's just one of those assumed things. And he realized quickly that wasn't working. Mm -mm. We both realized quickly that that wasn't working. And society pressures you to take on that mom role. But you've got to look how step families originated. It was usually when a parent died. And then they got the parent, other parent got remarried. And they did take on that motherly role. And that was years ago. Now it's more of there are parents everywhere. And even if a bio parent is deceased or in jail or absent for whatever reason, they still have another parent. Mm-hmm. And you have to remember that because if not, the kids are going to look at it like you're trying to take that parent's place. Mm-hmm. And that there is a negative dynamic between bio mom and stepmom. Mm-hmm. And then they're even more sensitive to what you might say if you say, well, it looks like you haven't brushed your teeth today because you go brush your teeth. And they're like, so you're telling me my bio mom didn't make me brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. That might not have been what you were saying, or maybe it was, you know, mm-hmm. depending. But oftentimes that's what they hear. And they can really struggle of like, you can love both these women and they can have complementary roles in your life. And I mean, that's a really abstract thought for most of us, let alone children who've experienced divorce. So, yeah, yeah. well, they often feel like they have to to choose a side. And and sometimes the, the the parent puts them in that situation, whether knowingly or not. And and that loyalty binds are always typically going to shift toward their biological parent. And that that puts them in a position where even if they want to love that step parent or even like them, <laughs> they feel like that they're betraying the other parent by doing so. Yeah. And if there's something that they share, like. Let's say they they're super into, I don't know, makeup and then their stepmom is, too. Like, and they connect over that. Like, okay, on the one hand, that could be a great thing for you to connect over. But on the other hand, it could be something that makes them feel like they're more distant from their bio mom because their bio mom's not into that. Right. And so it just, it's a, it's a really tough situation kids are in and it's a tough situation step parents are in. And then it's, it's being the partner, right? The, you know, the person that that step parent's married to, like, it's really difficult for everyone. And I have, over my years of doing this, have seen a lot of second marriages dissolve. Sometimes they come to me and they're like one foot or both feet are out the door. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, and it's kind of, I, I don't do marriage therapy. So sometimes like there's a referral to a marriage therapist if they're like really 
actively in the step of separating versus a family that comes earlier in the process, even if there's like tension, even if there's some things that have happened, you know, hurtful words or kind of hurts that we're not, you know, quite ready to move past, but they're not in the step of like, oh, we're, we're separating, we're getting two households We're I'm done here. You know, if they're not in that space, then there's a lot of stuff that we can do. And oftentimes it does really depend on the step parents' ability to disengage and stay in their lane and realize like what's appropriate for you to do. And that's when that conversation goes back around. You can't care more about their schoolwork than their bio parents. You you know, you can't, you know, try to put in all these rules that your your spouse is not interested in enforcing. I had. I've told the story on the podcast before, but one of my common themes that I I would talk about as a therapist is the role of technology and, you know, how it can be a stressful component in families and, you know, sort of how to have age appropriate parent controls, depending on the child's age and all of that. And, you know, we have girls, my husband and I have, we each have a daughter that's the same age, like almost to the day. And so, but they have different parents. My stepdaughter's parents are my husband and her mom and my kids are me and and my ex-husband. And so they had different rules. And I remember thinking, but like, I'm like an expert in this. Like, why are we not just doing what I say? (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember my husband saying like, it wasn't with an ounce of unkindness or frustration, but he was just like, we've decided to go a different way with it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's totally legitimate. Like, you can go a different way with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why it was just so, because I think some of it was he just said it so like calmly and matter of factly, like, oh, I'm going to have chicken instead of beef. Like, right. It, there wasn't any heat to it or judgment or anything, but he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, my ex and I decided to do something different for daughter. Right. It was so freeing because a lot of it, he sent the message of like, for me, what was really, I don't know what comforting or reassuring was like, oh, he's put thought into this. Like they've they've thought it over and decided to go a different direction versus feeling like he just wasn't parenting. Right. Like you're not doing it. Somebody has to. Right. Whereas he's like, no, we are doing it. We're just doing it differently than you would prefer. Like I could accept that answer. But yes. what I had believed about it was he was just not doing anything. And she right. was like headed for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was going to be one of these stories on the news about something happening because somebody followed her on a certain app or whatever. Well, and the thing is, is, I mean, she's older now. And to my knowledge, nothing like that's ever happened. But like, that actually would have been their choice to make. I mean, as a therapist, there's a lot of times where I can give a recommendation and parents will be like, nah, we're not going to follow that. We're going to just take our chances with whatever risky behavior. And and I really am accepting of that. Like that's mm-hmm. a choice. Like I feel parents have, have autonomy mm-hmm. and right. they might make a decision I don't agree with, but they have the right to make that decision. Yeah. And I feel mm-hmm. that way about my, my co-parent. And so, and I, and I also would remind myself, like you married someone who's inherently competent and loving. And so how he de- demonstrates that with his kids might look different than how he demonstrates it with me or even my children. Mm-hmm. But like, this is the person you married. This is who he is. And I have to trust that even if his method is different than mine, like, first of all, he has the right to make it. And second of all, have just general tr- confidence in him as a person. Like, if I thought he was an incompetent fool, why did I marry him? I didn't think that he was an incompetent fool. I'm not going to suddenly start doing it because he has a different internet policy. 
Yeah. And so I would remind myself of like, that is a truth for me. And so if there's something that like didn't make sense or was different than I would have done, I reminded myself of like what I felt was reality mm-hmm. and then could step away. One of the areas I see step parents struggling in often is that they feel like they've earned the right. And that's the words I usually hear. Like I've, I've earned the right to tell these kids this, or I've earned the right to interject my opinions in this situation or to tell the bio parent what he or she should be doing. And I think that's a very dangerous phrase when you say I've earned the right. I agree with you. I think that or this is my house too. (laughs) Oh, I love it. My house. Mm -hmm. And people will put that in my Facebook group all the time. Well, this is my house, my house, my rules. And my response is, where does your significant other live? Mm-hmm. Well, they live here too, but this is my house. Well, you might want to think about that because that is creating insecurity in your relationship with your significant other because they feel like you can kick them out at any time and that they have no say in their home and it's their home too. Mm-hmm. I think that is a phrase that parents use with bio kids too. Mm-hmm. And even though like intellectually there's truth to that, you know, the, the parent is the ones who are providing the home, paying for the home and all of that. But when kids think of it as like, you know, not mine, this Mm -hmm. is, you know, this other person's that I'm being permitted to be here and maybe they don't even want me here. It's hard for them to be invested in being part of a family and keeping the peace or learning conflict resolution and all that. If they're like, well, I'm 18, I'm going to be out of here. Yeah. You know, as soon as I get a job and don't have, you know, get my own cell phone or be on my own cell phone plan or get a car or insert whatever phrasing they use. Like I'm done here. Not cost of rent today. <laughs> no, and like nor I mean we could go talk about the science of the immature brain and and decision making ability and all of that. And mm-hmm. so you know the reality is you want kids to have healthy relationships with the adults in their life, whether it's parents or step parent or an involved grandparent or what whomever. And part of that means showing them how to communicate in a healthy way. And sometimes the healthiest way is to disengage and let the escalation die down and the heat and hurt Mm -hmm. feelings and then slowly build from there. Yeah. We deal with a lot of couples that will say, well, my child says it's not fair that they have to do chores. But for instance, David's kids don't. Well, you're the parent. I always say, oh, child's parents are have different parents than you and they've made the rule. My rule is that you clean your room before you go out. Right. And to us, it sounds simple, but to some people, they're like, but that's not fair. You can't make life fair for these kids. I don't care how much you try to. Are you going to go buy little Susie a pair of shoes when hers aren't even worn out because little Johnny ripped a hole in his? Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to be fair, then you better do that. And you can't be fair. We have these dogs that I struggle with. Well, I got to make sure I give them the same size treat. You have to stop at some point. And it's like I told my son when he would say that it's not fair that the brothers, that's what he refers to them as, get to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm your parent. I decide what you get to do. No different than your friend down the road. His parents decide what they need to do. And he said, but we live in the same house. I said, it doesn't matter. You happen to. But right. that doesn't entitle you to have the same rules that your your step-sibling has. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you no. know, I talked about how I had to step back for a year. And a lot of people, they don't have to step back for that long. 
or they are smart enough to check out nachoing before they get into a relationship and realize to stay in that dating mode with the stepkids. But the reason that I had to do it for a year is because we had a lot of hurt and we all had to heal from it. And I remember one time I was sitting in the bedroom watching House Hunters International. That was my escape, by the way. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I wanted to sell goat cheese on the side of a mountain in a shed. (laughs) That seemed better than where I was living, you know. And so anyway, I was sitting there and I heard them laughing. Well, of course, my son's in there laughing with them. And so I'm like, oh, must be nice having a jolly good old time. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I can be a part of that. So I went in there and I was like, what are y'all doing? And kind of engaged for a minute. And it didn't take long for one of the stepkids to do something that I felt like David should reprimand them for. And he didn't. So I just walked my happy butt back into the bedroom and kept watching House Centers International because I wasn't ready. It still annoyed me. And once you get to, I don't know, what would you say, expert nacho, (laughs) you get to the point that they don't, it doesn't bother you anymore. And it's not because you don't care, but you just realize all this other stuff. You've learned so much through the process that it's not worth wasting any of your energy on. Yeah, you you understand how to put the proper emotional weight on things. That's a really great praise. Thank you. He got that from me. Awesome. Good job. Well done. But that idea of like this, this by most people's standards would have the, like you said, emotional weight of a three out of 10, but because of problems and, you know, history or whatever, it feels like an eight. And that's a really, and I always tell kids, like, if you're supposed to be at a three and your body's at an eight, like that's all this gap is just stress, stress on your brain, stress on your body, stress on your relationships. And it's not getting you anywhere. It's not like, oh, well, thank goodness I stayed at an eight. That really saved me from being eaten by the bear. Like, it doesn't do anything for you except exhaust you. And stress will kill you. I am a prime example. When we were going through all this pre-nacho, the doctor actually thought I had pancreatic cancer because I had lost so much weight and I was so sick all the time. I mean, honestly, to take a shower, I had to take a break in between taking a shower because I just didn't have any energy. And it was stress. That's all it was, was stress. I I mean, I definitely didn't have that same step parenting journey. I mean, I just didn't. I mean, and and I'm grateful because even though I can't say it's been stress-free, not at all, but any stressors really feel like in the distance. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't feel like there's any moment I've hung on to or felt like, simmering with or with somebody reminds me of something and I think, oh, you ruined that or or nothing like that. Now I'm lucky enough, like my second oldest stepson has his own, he's married and has his own child. So now I'm a, I'm a grandparent, I'm a step grandparent. And when the baby was first born, he's about 15 months now, 16 months. I was like really aware of like, there's two bio grandmothers and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm like, you know, third place as far as grandparents. And I have to say the other grandmothers are like super gracious. And I think of the, I said this the other day, like being the grandparent is a bit of an equalizer because, you know, the kid doesn't care. They just care that you make funny faces and change their diaper and fill up their water cup and all that stuff. Like they don't sit there and say, well, you know, you're actually a step grandmother. Like they don't know. Right. So it's like a great equalizer and let like all nice ladies now are the same. And so if you've, created a relationship with your grandbaby that is of high quality, then you just naturally get the reward of having a positive relationship because babies 
just want to be with people who are nice to them. And it's very easy to be nice to a baby. And it's very easy for stepsons to enjoy you being nice to your to their baby. Mm-hmm. And like, there's just a lot of wins there. And so that is something, you know, I've been able to have insight on more recently because of that experience. Yeah. As long as one of the other grandparents doesn't say, she's not your real grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also am really good at staying in my lane in that, like, like I wouldn't push into a picture, like when the baby was like, you know, baptized, like I was the one who like held the coats or like took the picture. And I don't look at it as like, oh, look at me being all deferential. Like I truly understand what my role is and I'm very, very comfortable with it. And so like, I don't look at it as like, I'm somehow less than I'm just different. And, you know, so much of like your mindset, if you go in there and be like, it's not fair that, you know, they're standing right next to the baby and I'm not, or I just, I can't get into that space. Now, I don't know if my ability to get in that space is impacted by the fact that I have my own biological children. Like Mm -hmm. someday I will be number one grandma. Right. I mean, I don't want to assume my kids are having children because Anna was just saying on the last episode recorded that she doesn't know that she wants to. And I'm respectful of that. But I mean, like versus somebody where their stepchildren are their only children or are their only opportunity to be a grandparent. So maybe I just don't look at it as like as high of stakes as somebody who, you know, their only role as grandparent would be their stepchildren's children. Like, I don't I don't know. I don't know if that matters at all. Or if it's like a really relevant factor. I'm not sure. Right. And, you know, you had a good point about recognizing your place. And it's not that you are less than. I know my relationship with my stepkids now is so much better. I talk to them without David around. They tell me stuff they don't tell David because they either want my opinion or they want me to tell him so they don't have to. I am the quote, quote, fun aunt, the confidant, the mentor. But I've also built a relationship with them where they know I love them. And so I can tell them, you are not making good decisions. And they don't look at it as, oh, evil stepmom. They actually listen to it and say, Lori doesn't think I'm making a good decision. Yeah, you know, what they really say is, but you told me my brain didn't fully form until I was 25. So I, <laughs> I can't or, help it. Or, yeah. But it makes for a good story. Yeah, yeah. that's one of the favorites. Yeah. But, you know, I never thought that the relationships that I have with them would be to the point they are. I love them immensely. And not more than my son. I don't think I will ever love anybody. I know I'll never love anybody more than my son. Well, maybe if he has a baby, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but he's mine. And there's such a difference. And you can't compare the two. But it's not saying that they are less than. They're not let. I don't love them less than Jackson. I love them in a different way. And I love all of them in a different way. On occasion, I hear step parents say, I love them as much as my own, or they're, they're one of mine, or I don't even want like to be referred to as stepmom. I'm just one, I'm just mom, or I don't like to refer him as stepson. He's just one of mine. And I'm just like, no, that's not true. You know, like most of the time, and, and, and I say, we've said bio parent throughout this episode, but I do want to, you know, stipulate that like, whether you're a bio parent or adopted parent, like if you have adopted a child, you're that child's mother. Like right. you're, and so that's your role. You're not stepmother, you're the mother. 
And right. so whether you're the mother because you've adopted a child or give, given birth to them, either way, you're, you know, you're the mother. So just kind of keep that in mind to audience who might be a mother through, through adoption. But I, I will hear step parents say that type of thing and actually be very shaming. Mm-hmm. If you're like, oh, this is my daughter, Anna, and this is my stepdaughter, you know, and like, they're like, well, why would you discriminate between them? Like, don't you feel like she feels like you've excluded her? Like, oh, it's so um, frustrating. It's reality, people. It's reality. And and like, she has a mom who, if, you know, she would probably, I mean, not probably, she would, if somebody was like, oh, who's that with your dad? She would be like, oh, that's my stepmom. Right. She wouldn't be like, that's my mom. Because all her friends would know her bio mom. Like that would just be a weird, confusing conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there's, and it also is putting this connotation as though the word step is less than or mean or like exclusionary. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why people want to say bonus kids now. Those are my bonus kids. This yeah, is I've never used prize that. at a fair. It's a prize. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of people get offended by nacho kids. But it's reality. Again, they are not yours legally. They are not yours biologically. And I say they are not yours through osmosis Mm -hmm. because you go to try to take that kid to the doctor without parental consent. You're not getting anywhere. So how can you tell me that kid is just like your own? They're not. Or get divorced again. Yeah. (laughs) And we have a lot of people that will say, oh, I love them like my own. And I'll say, well, how old are your kids? I don't have any then you don't know that you love them like your own. Now, I will say I had a lady on a podcast the other day and she has a stepdaughter and some stepsons, but her relationship with the stepdaughter is as close as I've seen to a bio mom and a stepdaughter with her being the stepparent. Like she loves this little girl and it's a different kind of love than she has for the other ones. But she will also say that she doesn't know if she would love them the same, if it was hers or if she was hers, because she doesn't have children of her own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least she recognizes it. And like you said, if you get divorced again, then, okay, let's try to talk about this. You get divorced again. You split up from the blend. You decide not to work on your issues there, but go try to find another blend to see if it works. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. But anyway, you take all these issues and you try to make it work and it doesn't work. If you're, if you split up from your partner, then those kids, you actually don't have any ties to anymore. Right. And if you try to continue ties, you're just creating a complex web of something that's not maintainable. Big old mess. <laughs> and if you do maintain some contact, right? Because right. there's a difference between being tied as a step parent or an adult living in their home you know, Mm -hmm. together, you all share a home versus like, this is a person who I have contact with because we truly appreciate each other. I mean, I definitely have friends, you know, who are my age in their forties and they have a relationship with a step parent that their, their bio parent divorced Mm -hmm. from. And it is kind of like an aunt that you haven't seen in five years, you know, you, you send them pictures or they, they, you tag them on Facebook or, or, you know, you call each other once a year and wish each other a happy Mm -hmm. Christmas. Like they're, they're not the same as like a parental role in any shape or form, but this is somebody they are fond of. Right. And so I, I, I agree that reality of you don't have enough, whatever status to be in the mix. If you and your spouse don't stay together. 
Mm-hmm. I had a lady tell me, oh, it's in it's in our papers. If we ever split up that I still get to see the kids and have visitation. I'm like, hmm, which parent are you getting the visitation from? And how's that going to work when you get into a new relationship? Oh, honey, I'm sorry, but this weekend I've got to go pick up my ex's kids <laughs> from yeah. his other marriage. Mm-hmm. It, it's just not, I don't even How know that, that it's go? healthy for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So now they're divided between three houses. Right. Yeah. Like that oh. sounds like a disaster. I want to back up a minute because you you dropped a little bit of wisdom and then kept on running. I don't know if people picked it up. So I want to highlight it again there because it's really good. You mentioned that if you're treating the this new baby nicely, that the stepson will like you more. Uh, what we see oftentimes is people come in to us for coaching and they're saying, I don't understand why the stepkids don't like me. You know, they liked me six months ago and they don't anymore. And I just don't know what what caused that. And oftentimes we'll say, how's your relationship with their with their dad or with their mom? You know, whoever you're married to. Mm-hmm. And usually we find out they're going through a rough patch and they're fussing and they're fighting. The reason why the kids don't like you right now is because of how you are getting along or not getting along with their parent that's living in the same house. They see that and they and they side with their biological parent and they don't want to have anything to do with you. Right. If you're snubbing dad, they're not going to want anything to do with you. Yeah. So if you want a better relationship, then improve the relationship with their parent that you're living with or married to. And the relationship with them will improve because they see that. That is, I'm so glad you revisited that. Like, I definitely see that replicated in relationships like in my own family, like with my kids and and their stepmother, as well as clients where you're right. If they are are seeing tension in this new blended unit, they are absolutely going to take sides or feel, you know, you're not making my my parent happy. Kind of like, why are you here? This is like another stressor. You're making Um, all of us miserable. (laughs) Yeah. Like he don't like you either. And so, (laughs) but when I mentioned, you know, my stepson, like it is such a a pure place of joy as a parent to see someone appreciating your child. Like, you know, if your teacher gives your, you, a, oh, your son is just so respectful in the classroom. Like that makes you like the teacher more. And I'm not saying it should be done in a manipulative way, but right. the reality is when someone appreciates your child, treats them kindly, like that's a pretty primitive feeling of, of joy and, and pride. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, having a grandchild and him, him seeing how excited I am to see the baby or the baby working to say my name or bringing me a toy to give it to me or coming and laying on my shoulder and putting his thumb in his mouth. Like, it's pretty hard to be like, wow, what a bitch, you know, yeah. like, it just, <laughs> that's just not, you know, where your mind goes. And especially if you're, you know, consistent and positive. I mean, my stepson is an exceptional parent. So it is extremely easy to only be positive because despite doing parenting work, I've never thought, man, he's getting that wrong. Like, so it is easy. I'm not watching him, you know, smoke weed in front of his kid or, you know, leave him in the car unattended or, you know, there just isn't any drama like that. So, and, and that's not always the case, obviously, but it's, there's a lot of insight in this podcast episode. Yeah. Like it's it's easy to talk about endlessly, especially when you are a step parent and can relate to so many things. I think for me is when I talk to parents and I make reference 
to nacho kids because I do. I say, go learn more about it. Like, I'm not the expert in it. I can tell you the gist of it, but I don't spend the amount of time on the website or listening to the podcast that, you know, somebody who's motivated to try this, like, would be able to. But I say, you know, you can convey like disengaging from your stepchildren to your partner. You can convey it to the kids in a way that's really respectful, but still there's a boundary that's laid down. Right. Like, you know, like you said, well, you know, if they approached you and said, what's for dinner? And you said, you know, check with your dad is different than like, why should I know? Why don't you go and ask the parent who you actually like? Right. You don't need to talk like that to anybody. And they're Mm -hmm. certainly not going to speak back to you with respect if you speak to them like that. But if you're like, check with your dad, I know he's got some ideas. You're disengaging or not getting onto some emotional merry-go-round or setting yourself up to be triggered. But you're also role modeling just a respectful response that has a boundary in it. And so I tell parents if they express like, you know, discomfort with it, like that feels mean or isn't it my job to insert some sort of caretaking role that I'm like, you can do it in a way that feels spiteful or you can do it in a way where it's just setting a calm boundary that is a great thing for your stepkids to, to see and know for themselves because that skill will show up somewhere for them as being useful whether it's with their bio parent who keeps asking them, so what's going on at your dad's house? Did they all, do you know how much they all spent on that new car in their driveway? Like, you know, you can teach your kids by role modeling, hey, this is a conversation you can actually disengage from. Like you actually don't owe anybody anything here. But you can, so you can role model that, but you you do need to do it with respect because if you say this snotty, passive aggressive thing, that is going to come back and bite you versus like, you know, like, I don't know, check with dad, check with your dad and right. you go back to answering your email. Right. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we need to reiterate is you not do the things that cause you stress. So cooking caused me stress. If you enjoy cooking, don't stop doing those things. If it bothers you, though, then it's time to reevaluate. Maybe it's alternating cooking, maybe not dumping it all on dad, but or the other bio parent. But maybe doing takeout once a week, just something to give you a break and lower your stress. And it's also not just sweeping your feelings under the rug. If something makes you mad, you need to acknowledge it. Give it five minutes, which is a very long time when you're trying to be mad at something. Set a timer on your phone and say, I'm going to be mad. These dishes were not done for five minutes. A minute and a half in, if not sooner, You've started thinking about something else. Oh, no, no, no. Go back. You've got to be mad for this five minutes. And you're like, this is ridiculous. But how many people, especially in blended families, get mad over a chore not being done, especially dishes, for hours or days? Well, in the message they tell their brain, when I'm like, what are are the words you're saying to your brain when you see those dishes? Are you seeing... You know, nobody respects me. Yep, I'm the um, maid. You know, yeah, I'm the maid. Uh, my husband doesn't even know how to teach his kids how to take care of themselves. Yep. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you're telling your brain, like, is probably not, like, would you tell your your brain that if you were the one who left the dishes there or your spouse was? I mean, I know when I come home and there's dishes in the sink, I'm kind of like, oh, Pete must have had a busy day. 
Like, mm-hmm. I don't sit there and think, how dare he? Right. Now, I love you clarifying more about stepping away from the things that stress you because I was like, oh, I don't cook. Is that why I'm calmer? But a lot of it is for me, like one thing I'm really good at is helping with homework. I'm like endlessly patient. I know a lot of stuff. I know how to like Google stuff and how to email teachers nicely and they answer me. Like, I just, I don't know. I'm just And you enjoy it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I definitely, I recognize it personally as a strength where cooking is like not at all. Right. So like, I do know that when I am giving off those vibes of like quiet confidence and all of that, like the kids, all of them are more likely to come to me because it's, it's not a place of animosity or I'm not sending off some stressed out or resentful vibe, but man, right. if, I mean, I've talked a lot on this podcast, how I don't cook at all. And, um, <laughs> And so, but if, but yeah, if I felt like, you know, there was something I didn't enjoy or wasn't good at, and then someone I felt picked at, mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't really matter who it was, but particularly stepkids that would wear you out. Right. Nobody wants to feel unappreciated. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. And I always say my stepkids, they learn to appreciate me because those expectations were removed. Expectations negate appreciation. And that's in any relationship. Whether it's David and I, my son and I, or with the stepkids. And you've got to make sure that you don't let these things become expectations. Yeah. I want to go back to the dishes, though, because one problem we see often is that just, for example, the dishes are in the sink and the the step parent is flipping out about them. And I'll say to the step parent, what is it that you want? I want the dishes done. I said, okay, so if somebody came in and did your dishes that's sitting in your sink that's making you mad right now, then you'd be happy. No. They're like, no, I want the stepkids to get in here and do these dishes. And I want them to be punished for not doing those dishes. Right. And I want them to know they should have done them. Right. Right. And so I'm like, okay, wait a minute now. We went from the dishes need to be done to you don't want the dishes done. You want them done by a specific person. And then you want there to be repercussions because those things weren't done. And then you won't be happy with the repercussions either. Yeah. Mm. And so it, then they start realizing that the focus is really not on what wasn't done. It's about how they don't like the parenting or lack thereof that that's happening in the home. And so it really becomes this bigger thing. You know, I always say they're peeling the onion back. And of course, when you're peeling onions, it usually causes people to cry. <laughs> and so, yeah. They don't realize that they're not really mad about the dishes in the sink. It's something else. But if they can be learned to be mad about just the dishes in the sink, then you can solve that. You can solve that by the other parent stepping in and saying, okay, I know my kids didn't do it, but if I choose to do it as their parent, then it gets done. That's all that matters is that the dishes got done. It doesn't matter who did them. Just it got done and you didn't have to do it. Yeah, that should be the focus. And that's one of the things that we say is if the stepkid doesn't do the dishes and you get home, don't say, David, Ethan didn't do the dishes again. Imagine that. Don't say that. All you have to say is, honey, I'm going in here to change clothes and start getting supper ready. Can you do the dishes? Mm -hmm. You didn't bring up the kid, but they know their kid was supposed to do the dishes. Mm -hmm. And then they can choose whether to do those dishes themselves or to not do them. And have the kid do them. But that's their choice. 
Well, some of that is that direct language. That's a word I use a lot of like express what your need is to mm-hmm. your partner, not your kids, none of them in the house, bio or step are actually responsible for meeting your needs. Right. Your partner, however, has some more investment in that. And so to express a need to your partner, like I'd like some help with the dishes tonight, you know, is a is direct language, not like, do you think you could get around to noticing the fact that the sink is filled with dirty dishes or am I the only one with eyes here? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's no win in talking like that to the people in your family because they will talk back to you like that and which is just going to make you mad. Well, in our relationship, we've learned too that you have to also express a time frame. Oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> because when you say, can you help me with the dishes? Does that mean that now or in 30 minutes? It means right or sometime now. today? <laughs> it means right now. If I'm asking you, I mean right now. So now I have to say, David, can you do the dishes right now? <laughs> and I'm like, absolutely. Because if he waits 20 minutes, I'm going to do them. That's yeah. the intention. I wait 20 minutes. So I don't have. To yeah. <laughs> and and that's something else. I had a lady. I want to say two things. I had a lady that she had these beautiful white towels that they got for their wedding. I already can see where this is going. Yep. It drove her crazy that the step kid would leave the wet towel on the floor. It gets musty smelling, stinky, can get moldy, whatever. And she said, I know this is breaking nacho, but I can't stand it. I've got to go get those towels. I said, you have to weigh the stress. Does it cause you more stress to pick up the towels and throw them in the washing machine or to sit there and think about them getting ruined? She said, sitting there thinking about them getting ruined. I said, then that's what you do. You pick them up. I'm always like, why don't you buy towels you hate? Yeah. (laughs) And like we had color coded everything. I mean, like you keep the nice towels in your master bath that you share with your partner and you let the kids have the threadbare ones from the closet. They don't care. Right. And if they do get moldy because they spend the week there while the kids are at my mom's, like whatever. Like this is not energy that needs to take up any space. And I'll ask parents, like, is the fact that your family doesn't feel like successful right now, like a functioning family. Like I don't use the word happy a ton because I think that healthy is a better choice than happy. Okay. Cause sometimes things that make us happy are actually really unhealthy. Right. (laughs) But I'll say is the reason why your family is the reason why your family is unhealthy right now or not functioning because towels are on the bathroom floor. Like, is that why? Mm -hmm. And of course they're like, no. And I'm like, well, what's the thing? You know? And it's, it is, I feel disrespected. I feel like my, like I'm not happy with how my my partner is parenting i feel like i can't get anything done because all these kids are so needy i you know whatever it is whatever insert mm-hmm. the actual reason but it's not there is not one single family that it really comes down to white towels on the floor it's right. something bigger and so when you're just yelling about the towels like and kids are like i don't know she's mad all the time because of towels and then that's just not true it might be how it feels like it's manifesting but if you're not able to communicate what the deeper deeper need is that needs to be met for this family to be better functioning, like you're just not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to that direct communication. But right. the power struggles that are that pa- step parents, I mean parents too, but step parents will engage in is unreal. Yeah, their their biological kid might do the same exact thing, <laughs> and the you know, and the parent will be like, well. That's so cute. Oh, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Or, or like, or your co-parent will, or your, you know, your partner will be like, well, your kid does it too. But oh, somehow gosh. when, when my kid does it, it's 
adorable or less right. offensive or we put it in the context of a broad well he's got adhd or his dad's so mean to him i can't come down on he's him only he's five yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's funny i would see a cereal bowl that one of the kids left on the table the stepkids oh my gosh it irked me so bad my son leaves one there i'm like oh poor baby must have been in a hurry mm-hmm but you said something too, and I don't want to forget to say this about disrespect and how, I mean, the step parents, they will almost go to blows with these kids sometimes. Two of his kids and I got into it over a Yoohoo one time. <laughs> we call it Yoohoo Gate. The Yoohoo incident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for non Southerners, that's a drink. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's a malty chocolate, fake chocolate milk. Yeah. yeah. Definitely fake. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people will say, oh, you mean I have to stay in my house and let this kid disrespect me? No. Again, that's not what we're saying. If the stepkid says something horrible to you, even if you're nachoing, you have every right to say, you will not talk to me like that. And then walk away. Don't sit there and argue with them. Don't fuel the fire, but let them know that that's a boundary that you have. You won't talk to me like that. Mm-hmm. And then when they come to you later and try to talk to you, say, I'm sorry. Have you learned to talk to me properly? I mean, you can still acknowledge that they're treating you poorly. You don't have to just take whatever they dish out. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have to be very careful with that because I know with us, when we were going through the some of the bad times, there were things where the issue with the kids never got addressed because it blew up so big that instead of there being, okay, the kids aren't picking up you know, the dishes, that's the real issue. But because there was some big blow up around it, I'm too busy addressing Lori and what she did and the kids and then what they did and, you know, who's wrong and who's right. And, you know, both both sides want me to be, you know, surely you should believe me. I'm your I'm your spouse. And mm-hmm. then the kids are like, I can't believe you don't believe us. We're your kids. And, and you then, don't want to think either one, your husband or your kids are a liar. Yeah. yeah. And, and oftentimes, well, maybe not often, but there are times where it's not a matter of either side necessarily lying to you. It's just that it's a very different perspective of what happened. Well, and I'll ask, I'll say, how do you remember it? And then, well, how do you remember it? Okay. So there's some things that match up and there's things that don't. Mm-hmm, and we right. might never get to the end, to the, to the bottom of it. Yeah, but what it. I know is you're coming from the perspective of what you remember from right. that event. She yelled at me first or, you know, she was yelling and the uh, the parents like I wasn't raising my voice at all. I just, you know, called up the stairs or, you know, now we're now we're defending ourselves and now we're, you know, trying to paint a realistic picture for our partner to believe, you know, we're, what's whose story is somehow right. better. And versus like, okay, I hear what you remember and I hear what you remember and let's figure out what matches up and then where's the difference so we Mm -hmm. can figure out what to do next time. Right. And, you know, but being able to be in that like mindset or that space, like in session is easier when it's addressed earlier in the process. Mm -hmm. Because if your kid and a step parent has had three years or for in your case, you know, one year or six months of like really like hand to hand combat. Mm-hmm. versus like, oh, I can see this isn't going well, or I can see that my stepkid really enjoyed like going shopping with me or having me cheer at their baseball game. And now they're kind of simmering when I'm right. around, you know, like go and get help then, you mm-hmm. know, like whether it's a strategy like Nacho Kids where you can access a lot of the resources on the internet and have a starting point and talk it over with your spouse. And sometimes I I see like 
I'm interested in your opinion on this. I see on the Facebook page and stuff, like I'll see there's some people who are really like mindful and like they go to their their spouse and they're like, hey, I've heard about this. This feels like something that I, I'd like to try. And I just kind of wanted to let you in on my reasoning. And then there's other people who will, will nacho and not specifically say it to their spouse. They're just kind of do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I just was wondering, like, what is your thoughts on that? Does it depend on the marriage or is it yes. something that you mm-hmm. advise one way or the other? A lot of people won't bring up the nacho name. They will just say, I'm stepping back. Mm-hmm. And these are the reasons why. And I actually have a blog that I wrote about the benefits of the step parent stepping back for the bio parent, all these benefits of it. And so a lot of them use that. You have to make sure that if it is conveyed, that it's not. I'm tired. I'm overstressed. I'm, it's for the well-being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's for the well-being of the family and the blend. Your kids need me to be in a different role than I'm in. I need to figure out what that role is. I need to take a step back for everybody's stress levels to calm down. But it definitely depends on the marriage. Some people are better at communicating mm-hmm. and they can communicate those things with their significant other, whereas others know if they tell their significant other, Hey, I'm stepping back. They're going to kick into why did I marry you? Because you're supposed to be mom to my kids and just go through that. Whereas if they gradually start stepping back, by the time the bio parent figures out what's going on, then things are better and they Mm -hmm. can't deny that it's working. And you can do a little bit of credit taking where you can say, yeah, I kind of made a choice. I wanted to try it out and it seems to be helping. You can acknowledge at some point like you did it in a really mindful way and it wasn't like, I'm sick of you and your kids, you know. And I think that if you can go into it mindfully as like, this is a strategy that I'm going to implement, you get enough information about it where you do it with integrity because it's not a matter of like, well, I'm just never going to look at my stepkid again or I'm going to go into the bedroom and lock the door. And this is just my life now. Right. There's meant to be a greater good. There's meant to be an end of the tunnel. And, you know, you're trying to walk that direction and you have to start somewhere. And but on the Facebook page, which I'm going to be honest, I'm not a member of it right now because I need to take breaks from it because there's some times where I'm like, man, they're doing it wrong. You're talking about the Facebook group. Yeah, the Facebook group and then yeah, it's comment. off the chain. It's hard. It's hard. To, so, like for listeners, if you're listening right now, like don't have that be your first exposure to Nacho Kids. Like, don't go and join the Facebook page and then be mm. like, "Oh, this represents what this is," right? Because there are some people who are either just so inherently unhealthy that they are not going to be able to implement any healthy strategy, and so they're taking it and like twisting it, or they're just there to kind of vent about how many annoying things or awful things. Yeah, and they don't want help. They don't. So I don't think that's like that. I For a while there, I was like part of every stepmother group because I was doing so much work with blended families. And I was like, oh, I'm going to see what the, what the current issues are so I can stay, you know, on top of it. And then I was like, I am going to drive off a bridge because <laughs> this is the most negative group of people ever. Yes. And I am not of the mindset of venting, of finding every negative thing about your stepchild is it to be in a healthy space. Right. You know, I mean, for me, I don't live actively with the majority of my stepkids. I don't have to do day-to-day clean up your clothes or your wet towels or any of that. Like, I get to enjoy them as adults. Mm-hmm. And even though I, I think that the step-parents who are waiting for the magical day that their stepkids move out and think that that alone is going to solve it. Like that's very naive. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) You know, you still have to, you still may need to do 
a certain degree of nachoing when they're adults. And it might not be for the same things. It might not be for dishes or the wet towel. It could be like how they spend money or how they parent or, or career choices. Yeah, we, we've had people join the academy that had stepkids that were in their 30s and 40s. Yeah. And they and they join the academy because mm-hmm. they're still struggling with step family issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the whole like just waiting till they like age out is is somehow thinking that's going to be the solution. Yeah. Is and eighteen is not a magic age where a fairy godmother comes and does a wand and they disappear. It's a fairy stepmother. Mm-hmm. Fairy stepmother. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Our Facebook group. It is off the chain. I know mm-hmm. that it is. And I had a lady message me one day and she said, why do you allow people to come in here and post that they hate their stepkids? I said, because that was me one time. That's why. But you can tell a difference in the ones that are like, I am at a bad place. I don't like my stepkids. They don't like me. My marriage is crumbling. I don't know what to do. Versus the ones that have been in there for three months and they're still complaining about the same crap. And you try to give them resources and they want to argue with you about it. And that's one reason that David and I created the Nacho Kids Academy, because we realized very quickly a Facebook group is not somewhere to teach people this method. Mm -hmm. So tell us what's the what's the Nacho Kids Academy? Tell us specifically what it is. So the Nacho Kids Academy is a membership site that we created. And inside there, we created courses that address a lot of the problems and challenges that family have. So what we were noticing early on is that we kept coaching people down the same path or answering the same questions, Yeah, answering Mm -hmm. the same questions and things like that. And so we decided, you know what, let's create video courses that, that talk about these things and teach these things. And that way we can reach more people faster. So you don't have to rely on how much individual time we can spend on a day with people and just put it out there. And then on top of that, we've got, uh, Several 30-day challenges in there. Things. Not show kids boot camp, change your stinking thinking, and a self-care challenge. Yep. And uh, there's forums in there. And these are, Lori likes to call them the old-timey forums. But it's it's the full-fledged forums where you can type as much as you want. And you can be anonymous. They're completely anonymous. Unless you tell people who you are, there's no way for anybody to know. Even we don't know if you mm. don't tell anybody. So it's completely anonymous. But people are there. And they're wanting help. They're seeking help. You get a very high caliber response to anything you post there. It's not like Facebook where you got thousands of people firing back just their opinions, mm-hmm. you know, because just shooting their mouth impulsively. Yeah, because yeah, right. they don't have to deal with the consequences of their actions or consequences of their uh, opinions. Mm-hmm. So they're happy to tell you how they would handle it if they were in your situation, right? knowing that they wouldn't really do that. If they yeah. Wouldn't. They're like, I would just slap them upside the face. And I'm like, that's not good advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or so, just leave. Yeah. And that's one of the rules in my group, in my Facebook group is you don't tell people to leave. Now, granted, abuse is the one exception, yeah. but that's a whole nother story. But that's still a therapist needs to be involved and right. there needs to be protections right. and a plan and all of that. Yeah. 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 Yep. Oh, and we have the Q&A calls. We do Q&A calls. Yeah. So do Q&A calls. Is there different tiers of membership or you do one one cost for everybody and it's the same service? Yeah, it's one cost for everybody. Now, we're we're probably going to be revamping some of it here in the near future, but we're actually revamping it to add more to it. So I, I don't think we're still probably not going to have different tiers. We're just looking at more ways that we can bring value to the people that are there and help more people faster. 
we don't want to have other people doing what we did, which there wasn't a nacho. This is, you know, we we founded this methodology, but we had to find it through trial and error, which meant a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so we want people to be able to do this a lot faster than we were able to and see success a whole lot faster. Well, that really provides a lot of hope. I mean, in the work that I do, when parents call me up and they're feeling really desperate and they can hear like, I'm experienced in this. I have a plan. I can give you some steps and things to start off with right away. Like there'll be times where they express like, this is the first time I've felt hope in a while. And like, I haven't even done anything yet, but just yes. knowing somebody's hearing you and validating your emotions. And that I, th that what you said about like, why do you let people say I hate my stepkids? And like, you know, I do remind people like the words you tell your brain is what you're going to, you know, the loudest voice you hear in your head is the mm -hmm. one you're going to respond to. Right. So if there is a way to reframe it of, I'm, you know, I hate that I'm feeling hateful thoughts towards my stepkid, right. Right. you know, like still true, still accurate. Yes. But like most of us get so worn out walking around being burdened by that negative, those negative feelings last week, this is like, going to sound unrelated, but it's a little bit related. I had to have a colonoscopy. And so I had to do all the stuff, the prep, oh. you know, like the no eating. And like, I was super mindful about it. Like I worked a lot that day and wasn't concentrating on like being hungry and like just everything. Mm -hmm. And so I go the next morning and they were, and I was like, okay, I'm ready for the colonoscopy. And they're like, okay, well, so, you know, tell us the last time you ate and what you did. And I told them, and of course I had followed the directions like down to the T and everything. And they're like, oh, you didn't follow the right directions. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, we gave you two sets of directions and you should have followed the one on the yellow form. And I was like, wait, why would you give me two separate directions? And they're like, well, you know, because the, the one on the yellow form is better. And I'm like, but the other one was part of the prescription that you gave me to prep for the colonoscopy. Like most of us, when we get a prescription, we read the bottle. Right. And regardless of what was said in the appointment, like if it says take two, you take two, like that's right. what you're defaulting to. And so I was so frustrated because, because, and I, I hate to be this person who says it, but I'm like, I have a doctorate. Like I know how to follow directions. Like, don't talk to me like I'm an idiot. You gave me two directions. And so I'm just not a person who, like, I don't have road rage. Like I'm just not that person. So I was so like probably close to, cause I was like, I took off the day. Like I've lost income. My husband did like. You know, like this was a huge disruption. And they're like, well, we could try to do the colonoscopy, but if it's, if you're not, if your, your prep hasn't worked good enough, then we'll have to stop it. And when you come back in to do it, you're going to have to pay out of pocket. And I'm like, so I'm going to have to pay out of pocket. I'm going to be put under again and potentially have to pay thousands on, and on top of the money I've already lost mm -hmm. from coming here. I'm going to now be out thousands for anesthesiology. It is a surgery. Right. Like, this is all ridiculous. So I go out into the waiting room. My husband, you know, is expecting me to be in a colonoscopy. Like he's not expecting to see me for an hour, an hour and a half. So I come out and like, I'm like, let's go. Cause I'm not going to talk to him about what happened in a waiting room full of right. people who are about to get a colonoscopy. <laughs> so we leave and I'm just like telling him and I feel very upset. I feel it feels very unfair to me. Like I did everything right. And somehow it still wasn't right. And all the stuff. And like, so I'm doing like, I get home and he's very sympathetic. Like, gosh, that's, you know, I don't blame you for being, I'm like, I haven't eaten in freaking 36 hours, like all this stuff. And I told him, I said, I am having such a hard time reframing this into something manageable. The disruption this has gone been to my life, which I know grand scheme, 
like, I'm healthy, I'm fine, right? This was just a routine thing. It wasn't like I was waiting for a cancer diagnosis or anything. Like if this were to happen to anybody, it is going to be more managed than other people. But I just really was in such a negative place. And I told him like, I don't like feeling this upset. Like I don't like feeling abused, disrespected, like I'm an idiot. I don't like how I was spoken to, you know? And he was like, I don't know. He said something appropriate, but I was kind of like, why can't I just like walk the line between being okay with being this upset and also realize like, I'm not going to feel this way forever. And, you know, I told him like, typically I can reframe something. Like I was able to eventually be like, you know what? I'm lucky enough that, you know, I had a ride home. I am physically healthy. I'm not like waiting for a cancer diagnosis or something. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not out of so much money that I can't pay my mortgage or, you know, like this was really at the end of the day, more of an inconvenience than it was a true like harming of me. And I, you know, I had to focus on like what Like, I have the privilege to take another day off. Like, my husband does too. Like, it's better that we wait and do the procedure with integrity because it's a baseline test. Like, I was, but it, like, it's now been how many days? Well, only four, four days, but I'm still really struggling. And I think when we were taught, when I was looking at my schedule and seeing this interview, I was like, I remember how stressed I felt at being so angry at something. And I thought, there's step parents who walk around like that all the time. Like yeah. they walk around as though they had a thwarted colonoscopy all right. the time. Right. <laughs> you yes. know? And like, I was like, I feel miserable. I felt miserable pro- probably until dinner time. Mm-hmm. Like really, truly like beside myself. Right. And I just think like, there's people who walk into their house and feel that way towards their family. Yes. Towards, you know, and are in that state of stress for days, weeks, months, years mm-hmm. on end. And yeah, they're going to go to a Facebook page and say, I hate my kids, right? Like my stepkids. And you know, one of the things that nachoing the whole process taught me was I nacho stuff outside of the blend. I nacho Walmart, things that cause me stress. Normally if pre-nacho, if I was riding down the road and somebody was pl- driving real close to my bumper, I would tap my brakes, you know, you're getting ready to eat the butt end of a Honda, buddy. Mm-hmm. Now I just pull over and I'm like, go on. You're not yeah. stealing my joy. I allow things. If it upsets me, I acknowledge it. But then I move on. And our brain is so powerful. And I am I know you know this as a therapist. But have you ever heard of Dr. Daniel Amen? Yes. And automatic negative thinking. Mm-hmm. I love him. And that's the change thinking thinking challenge. That's where my idea for that came from, because you can look at, oh, I'm running late for work and I'm going to get in trouble at work or be like, maybe something's preventing me from getting in an accident. You can find the positive. You Mm -hmm. can spin that negative into a positive. It just takes work. And the more you give yourself positive stuff, you know, positive input, like you're feeding yourself healthy stuff, the more that that's what you hear yourself say. It takes practice. Like that is a skill that needs to be learned, just like learning to drive, tying your shoes, whatever is to teach yourself to, to tell your brain realistic. I say it needs to be truthful and positive. does not need to be unrealistic. Right. You know, like, you know, and so it's not a truthful thing to say, 
I'm going to go home and I'm going to love my stepchildren more than I've loved anything ever in my whole life. <laughs> like, no. I get it. That's positive, but it's not truthful. Right. So like, why, why are you? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not that's not a necessary like pressure you need to put on yourself. But like, I can go home and if I feel stressed, if I see dishes in the sink, I'm going to go take a hot shower or I'm going to use direct language and say to my spouse, I need you to take care of the dishes before I get out of the shower. Right. But, you know, and I, I'd really appreciate it and use respectful but direct language. And like that, that is something that is that's a goal you can accomplish, but you can't accomplish. I'm going to go home and think they're the best thing ever. Right. Exactly. And we spiral. That one thought becomes 10 thoughts and it just it keeps on. And sometimes you honest to God have to say, stop. I am not going to think about this. I'm not going to entertain it. And look at the tree and go, oh, such a nice, pretty green tree. Look at the brown dirt. Anything to distract you and get your mind off of those negative thoughts. There's um, Mel Robbins does the five, four, three, two, one, zero. The five. Are you talking rule. about the sensory things? No, the five second rule. Oh, the five and, second rule. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things where something's bothering you, whether it's anxiety to get something going or something to stop, and you. Count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, zero. When you get to zero, you change what you're doing, whether it's you physically get up and remove yourself from the situation, grab your phone if you can't get up, play a game, anything to distract you from the current mindset that you have. And it actually helps people with panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, create those pattern interrupts. Right. And it's not easy. Like you said, you have to be deliberate <laughs> in your thinking and when those thoughts pop in your head, you have to go stop. I'm not entertaining you out devil in Jesus. Just get those <laughs> negative thoughts out of your head because we are filled with negative probes, I guess. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, negative thoughts all day. The news, the you know stories on Facebook. There's so much negativity that we've got to create our own happiness. And one way to do that is through positive thinking and a gratitude journal. Mm-hmm. If you wake up every day and write down three things or five things you're thankful for, you are going to start your day off better. Positive affirmations, same mm-hmm. thing. If yeah. you go to sleep at night, tell yourself three, five things that you're happy about or grateful for, and it'll help you even sleep better because your your brain is so powerful. It's unreal. I mean, you can convince yourself you climbed Mount Everest and you've never even been there. Mm-hmm. That's well, how that's powerful that. it is. I mean, that cognitive behavioral strategy, I mean, that's definitely what my primary modality is when I work with with clients and and that I live by, honestly. And so it's just teaching yourself to not always have your default thinking be the grim thing or or, or sometimes just really just untruthful messaging that you're sending yourself. And you, like you said, the spiraling, well, you can spiral down or you can spiral up where you have a positive begets a a positive. Right. And so, and it's really draining to be the spouse who's watching, you know, their, their new spouse dislike or hate their children, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's a very painful place. And you mentioned earlier, something I wanted to come back to, you said something about like, you know, it's, well, this is my house or the role you have are expected to take because you're, you know, you're the mother. And on this program, we've talked a lot about sort of like the gender stereotypes and the default responsibilities that society puts on us and like the the mental load that so many of us carry all the time. And even though I, you know, I want to rebel against that. And I think in my own, like my second marriage, 
my first marriage, I had a traditional role. In my second marriage, I'm just older and I have a really established job. And we just are very, very much split the the responsibilities within the household. And it's been like that from day one. And so like if somebody needs to pick up the kids, like it honestly is almost never me, let alone always me. Like it just, it just doesn't, you know, go that way. But I do explain to dads, like even though your wife may not be the mother, like of your children, she is the mother in the household. Like once there's children in the household and it could be the neighbor's kids, you know what I mean? Came over because their parents had to go to and do a work emergency. Like there's an element of caretaking that happens because you are the mother on the scene. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, there's there's default behavior that we do engage in. And mm-hmm. so like, yeah, your partner is not their mother, but they right. are often setting the emotional tone in the household and determining kind of the roles and responsibilities, you know, and it's like, if mom's mad or the woman's mad, then oftentimes everybody's feeling that. And it can go the the, the other way too, but it's more culturally acceptable for a, a man if he's like frustrated to like drive off and run near into the store or go tinker on the in the shed where it's not as accepted that that we do that. And so I was just like, you still have to understand the pressures that are put on this woman. You know, if Halloween costumes need to be conjured up, almost nobody's looking to the dad. Right. And so you know, if if flowers need to be, if it's teacher work or teacher appreciation week, right? It's probably not on the dad's radar. Now, for me, I definitely am kind of a like, oh, your kid, your responsibility. Like, mm-hmm. I'll pay attention to my kid's teacher appreciation week, but like, nobody's really looking to me to be like, you need to have sent a gift in for my stepchildren. Like, right. it's just I've never attracted that, mm-hmm. so I've never had to continue it. And it's very freeing. I also want to say one other thing is I don't share children with my husband. Like he has, you know, children and I have children. We don't right. share any children. I really focus on how freeing that is because within the household, I make decisions about my bio children. Yes. And so I don't have to actually consult him as a parent. I consult him as my partner. Right. Like who's available to, you know, let the dogs out. Right. You know, at during the midday, like, and then some of the tasks that go along with sharing a household do involve the children, Mm -hmm. but I don't have to co-parent with him in the same way that I do actually with my ex. And I have to run more by my ex because he's their biological parent than I actually have to my spouse. Right. Like legally. Yeah. And so any, you know, involvement my spouse has is because I respect him mm-hmm. and because he's choosing to have certain roles in our family. Whereas when I involve my ex, it's really there's an ethical and legal obligation. Right. And so I just don't have to have a power struggle with my with my spouse about, you know, where the kids are going to go to school. Like he doesn't need to weigh in on that. It's not a thing we're going to argue about. Mm hmm. And if I'm like, oh, kid goes to this school now, that's where we put drop him off. He'd be like, okay, you know, like yeah. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> just give me the address, you know, yeah. doesn't need to be any more than that. And so I do remind people, like, for people who true who don't have a shared child, like there is a lot of freedom in that. Yes, and you can like enjoy that part of it. Yes, and one of the things that you said, like when kids come over, 
and you have to be that motherly type thing. I look at that more as adulting. Yes. Trusted adulting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. My dad actually brought that to my attention one day. I don't even remember what we were talking about. Oh, yeah, I do. When he, he was little, his grandmother favored one of the kids. So she would give them ice cream money, but not the other ones and all this stuff. And he said, that's just crappy. And that's I just said, bad peopling. Right, right. That's what he said. He said, that's bad adulting. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, you're right. There's a difference in adulting and parenting. Yeah. Yeah. If your your kid had a friend over and you were getting ice cream, you wouldn't be like, sorry, you're not biologically mine. So you don't get ice cream money. They would be part of your home and that you would treat them to ice cream just like you would the children in your yeah. home. Yep. Or you didn't clean up your mess. So when you get home, you tell your parents you can't play your iPad for two days. <laughs> Good <laughs> I point. Mean, that sounds crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah. be that would be crazy. Wow. If I just got to go to the neighbor's house and be like, hey, he's grounded. Yeah, next we should days. do that. We'll do that as a TikTok. We'll go to your sister's house and tell yeah. her her kids are grounded. <laughs> that, that just reminds me of the, the phrase I, I tell people often that is like the worst phrase that a guy can hear. And probably a lady, too, whenever you're a, a step or a biological parent is when the when your partner comes to you. And they're complaining about your kids. And then they use the dreaded phrase. So what are you going to do about it? <laughs> guilty. I was guilty. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's hard for me to believe I wouldn't have said that. It's not in my recent memory, but. Well, and it wasn't necessarily that I would say, what are you going to do about it? As much as I would tell him and expect him to tell me what yeah. he was going to do yeah. about it. it. He didn't yeah. even have to say it. It was right. Implied. It was implied. And then if he talked to him, I would say, so. Yeah. So what did you tell them? Yeah. What did they say? say? I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. And again, I definitely <laughs> learned, like, if there was something ethically, I feel like, like, let's say I heard through my daughter something that, about my stepdaughter, I would be like, wanted to give you a heads up, but I would be, make it, I would actively not follow up. Right. Because like this parent has the information that they need to parent. And they can do what they want to with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's sometimes I'm like, oh, it seemed like he ignored it. But... His choice. It is his choice. And now, and so, and I was able to define or separate out like when my stepchildren's like behavior or rules or lack of or whatever impacted my kids. So I'll give an example. In when my girls were younger, the cell phone thing, and I didn't have Anna have her cell phone overnight. Like she had to turn it in. Well, my stepdaughter didn't have to. And so, but they often would sleep together. Like they have always really liked each other. And now they have more, you know, they're both going into their senior year. They both have jobs. They don't live in the same area of town. Like they're just, you know, but they, they've all, when they were littler, they like, and and my stepdaughter was here, like she'd almost always sleep with Anna and I'm, we were fine with it. It wasn't breaking any rules or they never did anything naughty, but stepdaughter would be allowed to have her phone all night. And I was like, no, like that just is my boundary. Like this is, this is a no for me. And so I basically said to my stepdaughter, like either choice is fine with me. You can park your phone on the counter and sleep with Anna, or you can sleep in your own room and have your phone because your parents allow you to have your phone. Like either way is totally fine. And then I, you know, explained to Anna, like stepsister gets to make this choice. Like there's no like being mad or why didn't you choose me or anything? I was like, we just have a little bit different rules. And I, it was really 
I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't even want to make that assumption. Like seemed like my stepdaughter didn't appreciate that boundary. Like it felt frustrating to be like, but I want to sleep with Anna mm-hmm. and I want to have my phone. You know, she would look at YouTube videos or listen to music, whatever. And so it felt really restrictive. It felt mean. And I had to really think like, does this really matter to me? Like, am I saying no, just to say no, because, or is this something that is truly like a parenting boundary? Mm-hmm. And I, I really thought about it. And I, you know, kind of checked in with my support system, like, just to make sure I'm not like being rigid about this. And they were like, well, do you stick to the rule when stepdaughter isn't there? And I'm like, yeah, always. Well, that shows it's an important rule. If you totally bent it all the time, but suddenly you're holier than thou about the phone when stepdaughter's there, like you're just kind of, right, you know, on a power trip. But I was like, no, I, I really do stick with this rule. And that really helped me. And stepdaughter didn't love it, but it was a way for us to navigate, like, and still sort of honor what I needed to do for my own child. Right. And the reason you were able to do that is because it affected your child. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like you were trying to punish stepdaughter or anything like mm-hmm. that. It was, these are my rules and with my daughter. And if you want to spend the night with her in her room, then you have to park your phone. Yeah. And also, too, as I also, if Anna had another friend spend the night, like another not stepdaughter friend, I also had that rule. Right. So it wasn't like, oh, well, when she has this random friend, I allow it. And I don't allow it for stepdaughter. Like, she's the only one who's not allowed. Like, it was, I felt like I implemented it really consistently across the board, regardless. Like, anybody who's sleeping in the room with my kids mm-hmm. at that age, now, I don't care. But, like, you know, they parked the phone. And so, but I definitely, like, struggled over that because the girls, like, loved, ha- you know, time together. They really did. You know, they slept fine. They were adorable. It was, like, a really nice part of blending families. And then I was like, oh, I'm such a, like a, a wet blanket, mm-hmm. you know? And I felt like Party I was, pooper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I felt like I was being a jerk, but I was like, I'm going to feel more resentful towards stepdaughter and my husband. If I'm like really going against something that I felt was super duper important. Yeah. And like, I actually just didn't need to, I just needed to figure out what the boundary was. And I liked having my stepdaughter have two choices. It wasn't like, well, you never can sleep with Anna. Because, you know, your parents don't monitor you. So you're too wild to be with my, like, because step parents will go that way. They'll be like, well, you know, you did something dumb on social media. So like now I can't even have you around my kids. You're such a terrible influence. Right, right. Now you're garbage to me. Like that's Mm -hmm. the vibe. Yeah. They forget about all the aliens at school Mm -hmm. that they, you know, are around. Or the mistakes their own child has made. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those aren't mistakes. Those are learning lessons. Yeah. We couldn't help it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, So, okay. I've had you on this podcast forever. It is now like 8.15 and we started at 6.30. So I do want to apologize for monopolizing you. My assistant, Julie, my assistant, she is like in love with you guys. She was like, she called me earlier and she's like, are you so excited about the interview? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. I was like, (laughs) it's still like active appointment times with clients. So it's not on my radar till after work, you know? And so that's when we had the conversation about you also living in South Carolina. Like she was like, I think they're in South Carolina. And I was like, that would be crazy. So. It is um, crazy. Okay. So Not not just in South Carolina, but in the same county. County. (laughs) County. I know. know. Okay. So a couple of things I want to highlight before we, we end our episode. So 
tell me where should people find you? Like where, what should they type into their computers to find out, find you guys in the work you do? So you can go to nachokids.com. Um, actually, you can just Google Nacho and it'll I come know. up. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to, if you're looking for the academy, it's nachokidsacademy.com. Of course, all this is linked from our main page, nachokids.com. Podcast, you can find the podcast there at nachokids.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's the mm-hmm. Nacho Kids podcast. We're on Instagram. Good. Recently, yeah. TikTok. Oh, Lord, help my soul. <laughs> I have not ventured into TikTok. Yeah, I, I, I said I wouldn't, but, you know. So people either love it or hate it. And I just, I'm so self-conscious about the dancing and the stuff. Oh, and I'm not just, dancing, but even just talking to you, I'm like, my eyebrows are uneven. Or <laughs> one cheek like shines shiny. more than the other. Like, what's you, happening I feel like here? I'm glowing over here. I so, have yeah. a filter. Like, oh, I need like a filter. I, Why don't yeah, you have me a filter? You, you, IT, you've man? never had a filter. That's what got so you. Zoom, Zoom has a filter and it makes your wrinkles way less. David, like, in real life, I'm like an filter? old oh, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no. So, okay. So people know where to find you. Obviously, we're going to have show notes and we'll, you know, have links to your, to your website, you know. Oh, That's you disappeared. You're Fox or something. <laughs> That's the filter you have? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take my wrinkle-free one at any time. <laughs> but I think I do want to encourage people to to reach out and find out more about you. You know, keep in mind the Facebook group is a little hairy. Yes. So maybe that shouldn't be your first step. And mm. then if you're, you know, in the Charlotte area and you feel like, hey, you know, we're we're at the stage where we either need family counseling or I need individual counseling as a as a step parent to really figure out like just the emotions all wrapped in like you need counseling mm-hmm. or you need co-parenting counseling either with your spouse or with an ex partner that you're trying to parent with then I'm a good resource for that like the work we do complements each other so well it doesn't overlap com- you know completely there's a lot of opportunity for for folks out there who have questions or concern to kind of find the medium right. that yeah. to them the most, because yeah. some people really, they want to do a course. They want to watch it multiple times. They want to connect with other step parents and other people are like, Nope, I want to work individually with somebody and either option. Like you got to find the option that works best for you. Mm-hmm. But there are options and that's what people have to remember. Mm-hmm. I know that you've dealt with step families a lot and the depression and suicidal thoughts and all that stuff and stepmoms especially is real. And there is help out there. You're not alone. And there's help for you to make this life better. And don't think that the world doesn't need you because we do. Mm-hmm. I love it. Those are wonderful thoughts to end with. I just want to say thank you for d- dedicating so much time for this episode. I think it can really be a fantastic resource to so many listeners out there. I also know a fair amount of therapists who listen to the podcast and therapists are always looking for resources to direct their clients to. So to my therapist friends, consider this a resource, you know, approved by me because I wouldn't have had you on. I typically <laughs> only have um, like licensed therapists, teachers, pediatricians, you know, and so like it's it's a departure for me to kind of have somebody who's created a business from, you know, based on their experience and really had it evolve from their personal story. Like that's not 
who my guest experts typically are. And so I really appreciate you coming on and and because this is a very, I don't know what you want to call it. Like it's first of all, it's really established. You guys have been around for a while. And just even the principles you talked about today is like so based in like what we know from science about how people think, how people cope. And so there's just so much, so many takeaways that everybody can relate to. So I really appreciate you being here. Well, yeah. we appreciate you having us yeah. and we are going to have you on our podcast. Too. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And we'll have to do would... dinner together with your family. Oh my yeah. gosh. That'd be so fun. <laughs> yeah. What if our kids fell in love? <gasps> Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> we could be in-laws. Oh. <gasps> Yeah. All right. Don't tell my son's girlfriend though. Um, yeah. Or my daughter's boyfriend. She actually yeah. was just talked about him on an episode like the other day, how cute he is. So yeah, yeah I forgot so about that. listening to this and going, she's already trying to get rid of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys. We just got in a little fantasy there. It's not yeah. personal to your partners. We're kidding. We're kidding. <laughs> kidding. Yes. No parents should ever be matchmakers. So. <laughs> I don't know. I probably would have been better off first time. <laughs> Are you talking about your, your... Parents matchmaking you. Okay, you can wrap this up now. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's saying his first partner. Well, yeah. if, if they hadn't picked her, yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, still stand by it. <laughs> Parents shouldn't matchmake. All right. Well, everyone out there who's been listening to this episode, I appreciate you hanging in with us. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and we are finishing up season five. This might be our season five finale. <gasps> I'm not sure. I have to look at the schedule. So we need a cliffhanger then. I know. Dun, 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 dun. And then before you know it, we're going to, we take a short break. We take a little bit of like breathing time to just like take a break from the podcast for like usually around three weeks. And then we roll into the next season. So we, you guys are, from what I can tell, the tail end of season five. So I Woo-hoo. appreciate you. I know. I know. Right. So we're the caboose. I know. Good one. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast today. Thank you. Thank you.